This week's episode of Merge Conflict is brought to you by Syncfusion. You know Syncfusion. You love Syncfusion. I love Syncfusion because they deliver to you the most comprehensive UI toolkits for all of your favorite platforms. Whether you're developing web applications with JavaScript or ASP.NET Core, React or Angular, or mobile applications with Xamarin or UWP, or heck, even desktop applications with WinForms or WPF, they have everything that you simply need. I love them because when I go in to build an application, they have it all. They have data grids, charts, graphs, date pickers, combo box, buttons, all the things that I don't want to build over and over again. Better yet, they have crazy complex, amazing controls such as Kanban boards, these full spark lines, range navigators, maps, all the gauges that you could simply imagine. Now what I do love though is when you get a little bit deeper into the woods and you need to deal with file formats. They fully support Excel, PDF, Word, and PowerPoint. It's a simple drag and drop control into any of your applications. So where do you go to learn more? It's easy. Go to syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict to learn about all of their amazing charts, controls, and UI toolkits for all of the great platforms. Simply go to syncfusion.com slash mergeconflict. And thanks to Syncfusion for sponsoring this episode of Merge Conflict. You know, I was listening to our episode today from last week, and I don't think we're so bad, James. You listen to one of our podcasts? I know. I try not to. Like I, I used to have this fear. I still have this fear of listening to my own voice and seeing myself in video. But something happened and I listened to the episode. I was like, hey, I think I'm learning something here. Yeah, we're not bad, right? We're, we actually <laughs> attempt to kind of somewhat teach people about some things that we're learning or playing around with. Yeah. Yeah. I kept thinking, oh, I hope they bring up this topic. And then guess what? We did. It was oh. fantastic. <laughs> We actually covered a topic that you wanted us to talk about that we talked about earlier. <laughs> it's almost uh, as it if good. we it's almost as if we plan out these episodes and put bullet points to what we actually want to talk about. I do have a criticism of us though. Follow up. Um, we said so many version numbers in the .NET standard 2.1 episode. Oh my God, keeping track of which version we were talking about was kind of hard as a listener. So for everyone out there who made it through, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I am always interested in feedback for the show because I do listen to our podcast as I'm editing it. So that is me listening to our podcast back at like 5x because I'm jumping around, skipping around in my mind. I know our points where I need to cut out this or cut out that, but often I don't cut out anything. So usually what you're hearing on the podcast is pure Frank and James, just this is the episode. Sometimes I'll snip out little bits here and there, but I, I normally think we do a really good job only because we're, you know, we're at a 125 episodes and I think if we didn't enjoy doing it or didn't think that we were doing a good job, we probably wouldn't have continued listening or doing the podcast and then even listening to the podcast back. And the feedback so far from listeners is really good. I was doing a stream uh, about a week ago when this comes out. This will be a little bit over a week ago. I did a Xamarin workshop. Did you watch the Twitch live stream? I did. I enjoyed it very much. We should talk about that. It was intense. I was so cramped up afterwards from huddling over my keyboard and trying to answer questions and code at the same time. But we had a lot of listeners that gave really good uh, recommendations to other people. And we're talking about the podcast. I was like, look at us. Like people like the stuff that we produce. So thanks everyone for 
all the reviews on iTunes and for keeping us going. It's it's impressive at 125 episodes. That's almost three years. I mean, <laughs> getting yeah. up there. Hey, uh, I guess we're professionals now. 120 something, I think. See, I don't talk over you that much anymore. I, I still do it, but it's less often. So I can't believe what you accomplished. You stood up and programmed, literally stood up and programmed for four plus hours and did a video of it. It was really impressive and I really enjoyed it, actually. It was an introduction to Xamarin. I've kind of seen a bunch of those. <laughs> I kind of knew the material you were going to cover, but it was still fun um, seeing you program. Would you call that your normal dev setup or was that a setup tailored to recording a video? Uh, I mean, that was in all essence, my normal setup. Yeah, totally. Uh, that was the same computer that I'm recording this on or that I Twitch stream on. And it's the one that I do not dev work at office or presentations, but it's my normal like weekend coding, you know, setup. So it's maybe mm -hmm. even more raw form. But in general, I had my MacBook Pro on one side of the room. I went and just kind of coded away and, and had multiple monitors. That's the key to that is having multiple monitors and, and the setup uh, here in the office. But it was a lot of fun. There's a lot of clips of the of different things in that one. But uh, yeah, I got a lot of people that were like, oh, a lot of people still knew, right? So a lot of people still knew to, to Xamarin. So I think there was a lot of appreciation there for, for doing this type of um, type of work. And I'll put a link in the show notes to the, to the workshops and you could like follow along at home and stuff. But it's kind of evolved, right? I did, I started to not only just build an application, but I started to integrate some native functionality. And I think, you know, we're often talking about code sharing or testing, but sometimes it's fun to talk about the native bit. So I did like geolocation and I did uh, mm -hmm. opening the maps and things. So that was a lot of fun. Uh, and I know that probably that I'm not going to say that some of the native API accents in inspired this topic for this week, but <laughs> I feel as if maybe I put on the top of your mind between all the crazy IOT things and be like, wow, look at James make these really rich applications out there. Maybe I should start to do that in my apps. Is that what happened, Frank? Uh-huh. That's exactly what happened. And uh, I, I don't want to step on your segue because that was so smooth, man. We, we really should get to the topic, but I do have to halt us because I do want to give a shout out to everyone in the chat room because I actually really enjoyed the Twitch chat room for a lot of these uh, videos you've been doing. And there are a lot of new people. I'm, I'm quite surprised. A lot of people are like, oh, I've never seen this before. I'm doing this for the first time, installing it for the first time, seeing how XAML works for the first time. And it was fun seeing that perspective because you know we live and breathe this stuff every day so it's hard to have perspective so it's really enjoyable seeing all those people that's true and and i think about what you said about um just the version numbers right we get so caught up in our mind of knowing every single bit and piece like oh this and that and this right but it's it's not necessarily that easy i wish that we almost could do a video of that episode and then put the version number that we're talking about currently and then people could link <laughs> on it that'd be fun yeah, that would be fun. We should do some really fun YouTube videos. Someday we'll find lots of time to do all this production work. But until then, on to the topic. And yeah, so you were showing geolocation, and that's always fun. GPS stuff is fun. But I love talking to other devices, kind of IoT-ish. But specifically, I love talking over Bluetooth, LE. It's 
the newest Bluetooth standard, I like to think of it as, which isn't at all true because there's Bluetooth 5.0, which is more advanced and everything. But I think of Bluetooth LE as the Bluetooth that we are allowed to use as mobile developers. It's the one that we have access to. So let's do a Bluetooth episode. Bluetooth episode. Yeah, Bluetooth LE, which is not necessarily the newest one, like you're saying. It really started to open up more scenarios that we could use. Um, In fact, uh, we'll talk about it later, but I did a lot of work and maybe four years ago or so, three, four years ago with beacons, Bluetooth little little beacons that you could plop around everywhere. But the big difference to me is that whenever I thought about Bluetooth, that was always like Bluetooth headsets, right? It's the only (laughs) thing I thought you could ever do was I can do Bluetooth uh, streaming of music and Bluetooth audio. That's the only thing that made any sense to me. And then when Bluetooth LE came out and this world of IoT started to open up, it had all of these avenues that we could start to connect with. And I believe maybe Apple was the first one on the Bluetooth low energy train. Does that sound right? Yeah, um, I'm sure someone's going to say some Android was doing it or some Nokia device or something, but I don't know. I um, My experience with Bluetooth actually goes back to 2004. And for my mm. senior project, now I'm dating myself, that was dumb, uh, senior project at uh, college, I was doing, I was making a little Bluetooth device. And this is back long before Bluetooth LE existed and getting Bluetooth working was still kind of a a new concept. And we had to order chips directly from China and get them right onto boards, build antennas for them. It was a lot of work. But I remember in 2004, reading an article in IEEE Spectrum, which is a thing that nerds like me read. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And the article was something along the lines of Bluetooth is dead. Don't bother with it. Oh, yeah. 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 So the the thought back then was, yeah, we've had this standard forever, this wireless standard, but no one's doing anything with it. As you said, it's just headsets. <laughs> and yeah. so here you had a bunch of these senior nerds saying Bluetooth is dead. Well, turns out they were wrong because um, thanks to the mobile revolution, which they didn't quite see coming, um, Bluetooth came, became the other wireless standard other than Wi-Fi. So we have Wi-Fi, which is great. It's Ethernet. And we have Bluetooth, which is great for low-power devices. Well, so what's wrong with just using, I mean, to me, I I think, like, what's wrong with just using Wi-Fi protocols? For me, I was doing, early on in mobile career, I was just doing, like, UDP broadcasts back and forth to control, like, my television. I was just like, oh, just I have this little device. It's listening for, you know, incoming messages over UDP and I'm just going to pump messages and I can have like a virtual mouse on my TV and I can navigate up and down and I have a little receiver over there. Like, why is that not good enough? And and why does Bluetooth solve that in your mind? <laughs> well, there's a lot of things, but first I should say Wi-Fi is good. Obviously, you just <laughs> named all the reasons. We, we love Wi-Fi. Uh, everyone understands how to use it. It's the backbone whatever, Ethernet, (laughs) you know, it's the backbone of the uh, internet. The thing is, um, Wi-Fi is not that great. Um, You ever get a new device and have to join your network to it? You got to like figure out how to get a password into it somehow magically. And imagine if you have a tiny device with no screen or anything, 
how do you teach it what your network is? Now, Apple has solved this themselves within their own devices. They can all, you know, share Wi-Fi stuff, and I'm sure Google can do it too. But think of little devices meant to operate anywhere. They have no way of knowing how to get onto the network or anything like that. And so Bluetooth LE, um, just like Bluetooth, has discovery built into it. Here's a device. Here's how far it is away from you. And Here's how you can join it. And they're all just kind of pinging and broadcasting their existence to the world. So that's that's one nice thing. Got it. Yeah, that is kind of what I started to understand in this world was, yeah, you're also going through a whole nother system. So this would probably be the other point of it. When you think of Wi-Fi, what's happening in that relay is that both of those devices are communicating with the central router and there is a point of breakdown really in the communication stack that it can occur. If for some reason that router is down, well, Wi-Fi doesn't work anymore and you can, there's nothing there. Or if you don't have that wi- Wi-Fi, you know, power that's there and that Wi-Fi antenna, well, guess what? None of that stuff is going to work. So when I started to do a lot of Bluetooth work, I started to ask developers like, why, what are you doing with Bluetooth? And there's a lot of medical devices for it. Um, and other like voice and type of in- information. But what I sort of started to find out is that there would be these little sensors all over the place and you might be at a building on the rooftop, right? And there's no Wi-Fi, no anything. And you could use these Bluetooth devices, in this case, beacons, for instance, to get a general idea of where they're at, the direction where they're at, if you're getting closer, how many of them are around you uh, just in general. And the unique part there is the Bluetooth low energy specification uh, allows you to send smaller bits of information, but at the same time, be crazy energy efficient. Um, you know, and, and some of the power consumption too is like 99% less power consumption than normal Bluetooth. So I think that's where the revolution came from, which is Bluetooth was expensive. Bluetooth Ali was not expensive. <laughs> Yeah. Um, when it comes to these small devices, I think that was the revolution more than, oh, it's a Bluetooth LE, you know, Bluetooth, you know, uh, it's Re- V2 or whatever, V4, I, I guess, actually, it was, mm-hmm. oh, this thing is using crazy amounts of less power and it's super fast. Yeah. And um, you keep talking about power and we should definitely stay on that. But I want to mention even a higher level version of power where I think this is better. Uh, If we go back to the Wi-Fi comparison, how many times have we been at a conference and you can't actually get on the Wi-Fi because a million people are trying to get on the Wi-Fi? It's because you have this, um, this bottleneck of everyone trying to get to a device all the time. Whereas Bluetooth LE, because honestly, the antennas are so range limited and the power is so range limited, the solutions you build for it build naturally mesh networks where you kind of distribute the load instead of bottlenecking all on one device, you're creating several little several little networks and all that kind of stuff, several little connections. And so I just like it from that. It's just naturally more efficient than us all crowding into this one device. So I like that part. Yeah. And it's a standard by now. I think that's the, what I think about when I start to implement new technology is how widely is it adopted? And I was looking up the Bluetooth low energy spec. Cause we were talking about when did it come out? When was this, you know, uh, I don't have the dates necessarily, but it seems as if kind of 
2010, like chips started rolling out and then integration into hardware on the mobile side was iOS five. So we're thinking 2013, 2014, Windows Phone 8.1, Android 4.3, BlackBerry 10 um, started to integrate these systems. And once you get this unification of systems and this new technology and a whole ecosystem opens up around it. uh, And to me, that was what was really unique about the point in time three, four or five years ago is we saw this boost in not only a new protocol we could use, but operating systems were adopting it. And then all sorts of little tiny sensors and little things started popping up everywhere that we could actually use it against too, because having a new technology that allows you to do cool things with it is great if you don't have cool things to do it with. Yeah. (laughs) And I love, um, at least on the Apple side, all the Macs just kind of lit up and they just had it baked in because I guess they had been shipping Bluetooth 4 for a while. And so it wasn't just that these devices worked, but you could do it on your Mac. And, you know, you're going to have to help me. I don't remember. Does Bluetooth work in the simulator, iOS simulator? I never try. I always do it on the device, so I can never remember. I'm not positive. I'm almost... 100% 100% sure you have to do it on a device. I don't think that it okay. can do it through the simulator. Although I feel as if you should be able to, if you're on, like if your Bluetooth of your device is on, it yeah. should be able to pick it up. But I don't know if they forwarded that through. On Android, I'm pretty sure you have to use a device. I'm but 99% okay. sure too. Sandbox. It's interesting in your timeline that uh, this is well after the iPad. See, I'm forgetting the history already. Thanks for that little refresher there. Uh, I want another point on the low energy front, and I think this is why Apple kind of adopted it, was this concept that uh, the phones could be woken up by these devices and don't need to maintain very rigid connections to them constantly. It's almost a protocol designed to be disconnected and reconnected and found again and all that. So as an app developer on a mobile device, you can... um, Uh, notify the operating system that I want to be notified when I come in range of this thing and then your app will get started will automatically start up and it's it's just that nice efficiency of not having the user have to open the app and do the connection itself it's just this more passive environment which I think is just friendly and nice yeah the the it's it's unique in a way um because I want to kind of through this episode of bluetooth inspire people to investigate these APIs and the different use cases behind them. Cause you just made a good point. That is, it's not just about sending messages, um, to something else. The, the uniqueness of Bluetooth and these APIs that exist on the different operating systems give you the power, not only to send those messages and then receive those messages back, but they allow you to be notified when you're in ranges of them. It allows you to spice up your application to do certain things. Uh, and uh, at the same time, those messages can 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 be used to sort of calculate different information about where those devices that you're communicating with are. So uh, that may be a beacon, that may be a IoT device, um, or maybe some other device that you're sending packets of information back and forth. But at the same time, allows you to do those other scenarios, which is creating those networks. I, I remember. Um, I remember reading like an article about Target, I want to say, or some other retailer that at some point blanketed out or was doing a test run 
of blanketing out, I, I think Target maybe it was Macy's or one of those, blanketing out the stores with these beacons and then people with the apps could kind of navigate around in a way because when you're inside of your store, you know, you're not really have good GPS, you know, and you can't navigate people around, but you could create this mesh network of these beacons that could, and these Bluetooth devices that could disperse that workload. So it's kind of these different unique things. That's why to me, it's funny that you bring this up back in almost the end of 2018, because I was doing this like three, four years ago. Uh, <laughs> and it brought out this creative bits and pieces of me. I think if you just uh, Google James Montemagno, Bluetooth LE or Bluetooth beacons, you'll find a bunch of videos of me presenting on it because I was really super passionate about it back in the day. And I sort of forgot about all these cool use cases. You can see the excitement in my voice, maybe a little bit of, of like, oh, <laughs> yeah, remember all these cool back. things? Yeah, all these cool things <laughs> I could do. But So why did you get all of excited about it and literally put it as our only topic to talk about it this week? Like, what what are you doing <laughs> with this Bluetooth? I'm hacking. James, I'm hacking. Mm. But before we get to that, I have to, I, I want to actually address what you were saying about how, why this is coming back in general, why I'm bringing it up again. And I think part of it is that um, Bluetooth LE devices are getting cheap, cheaper, super cheap. Uh, you can buy boards on Amazon for $10 and build a beacon yourself with very little programming. Honestly, you're just uploading a little bit of code to it, or you can go buy beacons. It's just become a lot simpler and a lot cheaper to build either an IoT device or just a beacon to do localization. And I can't believe we went that long without bringing up, uh, not localization, but, you know, um, yeah, positioning yourself within a building. Such a cool feature of these little guys. And that's super easy to do with, you know, some levels of accuracy. So what am I doing? What am I always doing? I just had, I had a Bluetooth LE device, my uh, stupid little one wheel, the thing that you ride around, the powered little doodad. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get some numbers off of it. I wanted to know my speed and my battery and all that kind of stuff. And the cool thing about it is uh, the board itself is just a Bluetooth LE device. And therefore I have a million different ways that I can talk to it and access its data. There, there's some bumps in the road on all that, and we should get into it. But in general, it, it's just kind of fun and an easy API to use to build a mobile app to fetch a bunch of data from a device. So that's what I've been up to. That's pretty neat. Uh, I mean, just to think about in your apartment, it's kind of scary to think about how many most likely active or inactive Bluetooth devices there are that you could possibly connect to to do things with. Uh, I know that there's a oh huge God. community right now that are hacking their insulin pumps, for instance, to, I know Hanselman has been a proponent of this. I'll see if I can find this video of him talking about it, but he's been talking about how the insulin pumps for people that are diabetic, they're really not well connected and um, they're kind of one way. So they're either reading data for one device and another device would be like the output of data. So one's in and one's out, but there's no connection in between. So he goes, well, if I'm eating a bunch of tacos and I need less or more insulin, I have to do that all manually in my head. These are so kind of disconnected devices, but a lot of these devices have Bluetooth. So you could start to send mm -hmm. and sort of hack over a protocol to get these 
devices to communicate together in a way, which I think is really cool, you know, that the devices sitting around you, they have like my switches in front of me, that thing has Bluetooth, the controller has Bluetooth, the um, my, my Google Home has it, my phone has it, my laptop has it, like, it's almost that there's probably more devices in my home that support Bluetooth than support Wi-Fi, which is kind <laughs> yeah. of crazy to think about. <laughs> there are so many um, during all of this experimentation I've been doing. Uh, I've had a lot of just Bluetooth scanners running, just, you know, just sitting there. Any device that happens by, pick it up and tell me all about it. And if I leave that thing running, it just accumulates and accumulates. It never seems to end. Like just people walking by the apartment, I guess, or something like that. And it's funny um, just how many devices are actually uh, connectable and have information that you can see. There, there is security. Don't worry, everyone. It's, I was it's about to. A, I was. I was literally okay, we about to talk say, about that. Maybe like, <laughs> yeah. I was literally about to go. Isn't it a little creepy? That, I mean, if you go into your phone, if you go into your mm-hmm. phone right now. There's two scary things that I always am intrigued about. Like one, if I hold down the Wi-Fi, like look at all those Wi-Fi's, like so many Wi-Fi's. If you hold down the Bluetooth, you can go in and there's NFC too. That's a whole other topic. You go into Bluetooth and I'm like, okay, I have to be actively scanning, which I believe is pretty unique. So it's like, okay, I'm going to turn on Bluetooth and I'm going to start scanning and pair a new device. And I guarantee I have my shield, which is my Android TV. I have some device called Furbo. I don't even know what that is. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And then if I turn on my switch, I think I have my switch on there too, which is pretty interesting. So what is the security model? Because there's a device that is not in my house on this thing. Yeah. Uh, basically, the security model of Bluetooth LE is um, don't broadcast anything that's sensitive. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> Uh, more details to follow up. But for instance, let's take an iPhone. If we just have an iPhone sitting in the room and we Bluetooth scan it, what's going to come up? Well, it will actually identify itself as an iPhone. Um, It will actually give its battery, I think. It'll say its device type and a few other little Apple-specific details. So there's that information. So by default, that's all you're getting from an iPhone is basically its existence and a few tiny little non-personal bits of information. So in in that way, it's super secure because there's nothing (laughs) to to be leaked out. Uh, The trick is a device like the board I'm talking about anyone can connect to it. Uh, It's not like the old Bluetooth where you would enter passcodes. Bluetooth LE is really about the passive experience. So data that you broadcast on it should really be about the device and not about the person. Uh, This this is not personal. This is not good for personal data. Got it. Yeah. So it's general purpose. Here's a bunch of information um, that is generic in general, you know, and, and I'm not going to broadcast that secure information over this protocol. I guess you could, because there is encryption over the stack and there, and you could still do the pairing, but that wasn't really the original purpose of Bluetooth low energy for these devices. Like you can do it. And in fact, I know that I have some Bluetooth speakers, for instance, And some of them move from Bluetooth to Bluetooth low energy to get better battery life. And by doing so, the sound quality was a little bit not so great. The connection wasn't so great. uh, And I kind of returned that product. 
<laughs> okay, that, that's funny. We, should, we can dive into that. But you're absolutely right. So I was keeping it short in what most Bluetooth LE devices do. But you're absolutely right. The protocol does include encryption. Um, maybe we should talk about what Bluetooth LE actually is. Every device out there broadcast to the world, I have a list of services. Um, this is just kind of categorization. And then under each service, I have a set of values, and it's basically a key value store. So every device, here's a service and a key value store. You can read values, write values if they're writable, and subscribe to values if they're subscribable. That's, that's all there is to it there. And so the encryption layer is basically... Uh, read variable and write variable become encrypted channels. So that's that's where you can actually have for reals security. Real security. And that, is that the thing called the GATT, the G-A-T-T? Uh, no, the GATT is the general database altogether. So the problem is uh, I called it a key value store. The problem is the keys are all um, just GUIDs, UUIDs. Mm. And so no one knows what anything is by default, then, you know, these devices are broadcasting data, but you have no clue what it is. The GATT, the G-A-T-T, somehow that's an acronym for a database of uh, keys and how to decode their values, because by default, everything is just an array of bytes. And so if it's actually a value, you have to say what its data type is, or they even have structured data and unit support and all that. But all of that information is not in the transmission itself. It's separate in this database called the GATT. Got it. And, and that's, I'm, I'm pretty sure where the Bluetooth, uh, beacons, uh, they standardized on specific GAT definitions. So every beacon sort of implemented the same exact protocol because you want all the beacons to work the same, you know, their, their intention mm -hmm. purpose, if you don't know what this Bluetooth beacon is, the beacon itself had a little bit of writable data. So you could give it a few different identifiers. So it's this little tiny device you could put around the place and it would broadcast information out at a specific rate. And in the beginning, it was just sort of outputting info, kind of like, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. And you're just listening and it could put out information such as, um, I'm at this major and at this minor. So I'm at this building in this room, you know, kind of different levels of information. And over time, these beacons started to integrate more sensors. So it could be like, I'm in this room at this building and my temperature is 75 degrees and the humidity is 45 degrees. And each of those entries were pieces of data that could be decrypted coming in over that Bluetooth low energy stack, but it's just kind of broadcasting them out. Here I am, here I am. So that meant since all of the beacons and there was going to be tons of different beacon manufacturers creating these devices, we could create one protocol that could read that information back. So Instead of James going out and saying, I need to go find this information for that and understand this gap versus that gap, right? I could, and these UUIDs, I could just say, give me all my beacons from this API that was given to me, such as some of the core Bluetooth APIs. Uh, and then it would then give me back that information when it existed. And you got like beacon ranging and stuff. And it was, it was pretty cool. Apple's API was very nice to do it. And it seemed like that was the standardization of the, the GAT. 
uh, for yeah. those devices. Is that correct? Did I say that correct or not at all correct? Yeah, I, I want to clarify a few things, but everything you said is right. And I think that's kind of what's so cool about it is um, it's such a simple API that it actually breeds flexibility. It's, you know, the, the basics are so basic that you can easily conceptualize more advanced uses of it. And I actually want to bring up a really cool distinction in the protocol. And this will address what you were just talking about. And that is, um, there's actually a difference between the data that the device is broadcasting and actually what they call that is advertising. And the what I was talking about before with the services, that's when you connect to the device. But connecting is actually optional with a Bluetooth LE device because by default, they are broadcasting advertising. And the cool thing about those advertisements is that you as the programmer can choose what to advertise. So mm. you can cr easily create things that are, in fact, um, broadcasting data that no one needs to connect to in order to receive that data. So it's, it is a true broadcast. And it's really cool because that sounds a little silly, but it just requires zero interaction on the side of the user. There's there's no connection command, none of that. And obviously, therefore, no encryption or anything. But um, I, I, I do like the idea of just putting a bunch of data in the advertisement data so that no one needs to connect to it. Yeah, that's super neat. And as you're walking around, you can kind of get different information about it. And and I will say there's been some standardization. I mean, um, Apple has built that into core location APIs and core, I think core location abstracts all that information into like a very simple API for developers to digest. Uh, Google standardized sort of beacons and some of this information on an Eddystone protocol. These are for beacons specifically. Um, mm -hmm. And each of the stacks have Bluetooth protocols. So sort of there is a standard level of connecting to Bluetooth devices or just getting information about Bluetooth devices. But if you're doing stuff outside of beacons, which seem to be a, it seemed to be its own thing, right? They're all based on Bluetooth low energy. And I didn't want to make this a beacons episode, but beacons were like this <laughs> subcategory inside of Bluetooth energy. They were special because Apple created an API for them. So they became special. Yeah. Um, beacons was um, Apple just saying, we don't need to connect to these things. Beacons completely take advantage of the thing that I said about the advertisement data. That is the whole beacon spec. And the reason we needed a new spec was um, the original Bluetooth designers didn't include the information that Apple wanted to include in the advertisement data. So they would end up having a proprietary data format. But nicely, instead of having a proprietary data format, they said, this is the beacon format. So when you talk about beacon versus normal Bluetooth LE devices, what you're really talking about is um, what data are you packing into that advertisement broadcast data? That's what makes beacons special. But a beacon can also be a proper connected device too. So it can do both. It can put data in the advertisement and act like a beacon with that standardized data format. And uh, it can have the services with the key value store that I was talking about. Got it. Yeah, there was some uniqueness there is that you have the beacons, but you need to program them too. And that's where that pairing process and sort of the right access comes into uh, which is, which is pretty neat. And I created an entire scavenger hunt off of that. That was like a <laughs> unique 
thing at Evolve. You could take your phone and you could walk around and see if you're getting close or not so close to these beacons and you would tap it to it and things like that, which was pretty cool. So um, that was my claim yeah. to fame in the beacon game. So, <laughs> And, you know, the, the problem with um, these LE devices is that they are so easy to configure that everyone kind of does their own thing. And that's why I was doing my hacking project this weekend was um, they weren't putting their data in the advertisement data. They were not using this beacon spec. They were using BLE, normal Bluetooth LE. And that meant mm. that all the keys and values are GUIDs, you know, just random strings of numbers. And so I found myself holding a laptop, uh, recording Bluetooth while riding around on a skateboard and trying to see what numbers correlated with what data. And so it's it's pretty terrible. I, I wish um, all the vendors would actually release the Bluetooth specs. There is a standard XML format for these GAT for this GAT database. I just wish vendors actually released their files, but no one does. And so you find yourself hacking away, trying to figure out how these stupid little devices work. It's almost security through obfuscation of random bits and pieces of, of GUIDs and, and random yeah. data. I, I hope they don't think that that's actually security. That'd be terrible if that's their argument for not releasing the database file because there's nothing secure. At least my device, uh, when, you, um, when you're a device, you can say, is this variable readable, writable, or subscribable? And it's hilarious. They made all of their variables writable. So, um, hmm. yeah, security is not on the top of all these device manufacturers' minds. It's just kind of scary, the things they allow you to do, just being slightly poorly configured. Yeah, you always hear those, this IoT is gonna, you know, kind of go crazy because no one's thinking of security and these devices yeah. and that. And we're like, oh, they're totally fine, got the same, but maybe not, you know what I mean? Uh, who knows? But so did you, were you trying to develop then an iOS app or did you just use core iOS APIs, or what did it feel like kind of jumping into the Bluetooth game? James, I was everywhere. Um, I actually <laughs> I actually started out uh, coding for a little device called the uh, ESP32. It's this popular little chip that you can buy for anywhere from 5 to $10. And the neat thing about it is it includes Wi-Fi and Bluetooth LE. So I actually started out writing Arduino-like code and trying to do all of this stuff, trying to get Bluetooth to work with that. But I, um, I, I then said, I'm tired of this. And then I wrote Mac code and because I wrote a Mac app. And so I wrote mm. Mac core Bluetooth using Apple's fancy core Bluetooth API, which honestly, I didn't think was as good as the little embedded API. But then James... Can you believe it? I'm like, enough of this Mac garbage. And then I ported it all to iOS. This is my life. Oh, I write course. code three times. <laughs> <laughs> if there was only a way where everything could be abstracted for you nicely into a single library that would handle everything, you would never have to worry about it. But most likely never going to happen. That would be impossible. There, there's no way that a site called nougat.org would be filled with like 16 of these things. So let's talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I wrote everything using core Bluetooth with Apple because I'm weird like that. But uh, when we were talking about this topic before the show, you said, well, what uh, cross-platform libraries are there? And I said, you know, there should be some, but I have no idea. And we both looked around on the NuGet. You remembered some. I forgot all of them. So you tell me, 
what is out there for the cross-platform nougats? Yeah, the, the the Bluetooth game is interesting, I should say, um, of, of anything. It's very unique because, <laughs> because of these complexities that we're talking about, right? Is it Bluetooth? Is it Bluetooth LE? Is it broadcasting? Is it writing? Is it connecting? Is it what information are you reading? What what sort of relevant information are you even trying to get? What are you trying to accomplish? And with Xamarin Essentials, we always have that issue with some of these APIs. Some APIs are very straightforward. This is the accelerometer. Well, this is mm-hmm. very easy because I'm going to start that sensor. I'm going to do stuff. But with Bluetooth, we always get into this debate of what are people attempting to do? And could we possibly even abstract an API that would be acceptable for developers to use. Uh, and there's definitely been a few attempts out there and a few that people are really enjoying. Um, we had done one a long time ago called monkey.robotics, which was more IoT and robotics specified. There were multiple levels of it, like running on device and then also running inside of a mobile app. And that was kind of, I would say it sparked quite a bit of interest in other libraries to to fork it and to go from there. Probably the most uh, used one is Alan Ritchie's uh, library, ACR Reactive Bluetooth LE plugin, (laughs) although it has reactive extensions. So that is upsetting to me in the beginning. Not that it has (laughs) it, but that it's a dependency. So that's, I want to be very clear. Not that it has it, but that it's a dependency that it has to use it. But that one's, pretty good and it's the thing you know he has all these features which is scanning monitoring open the bluetooth pages you know dealing with different threadings and reading and writing and managing backgrounds and not i'm just like oh it seems complicated so that's one i know people have used and i think we even asked developers because there's an open issue on xamarin essentially like what are you trying to do and every single response was completely different so yeah <laughs> i'm not sure how to really handle it in general. That's funny, yeah. Uh, uh, I worked on that Monkey Robotics Bluetooth, and I honestly kind of completely forgot about it. That's terrible. So now I'm going to have to go back and look at our code and see if I still like it. The problem with these APIs, and I really learned this by writing the code three different times, was that the API level of abstraction is really variable. And there's things that you can include, things you don't shouldn't include. Um, For example, I said that all devices broadcast data naturally. Well, that's not actually true. They broadcast two things naturally, and some APIs expose that they're two different things, and you can control the two different things. But most APIs, specifically Apple's and I'm assuming Android, um, don't. Uh, You cannot control the two different messages. They control it for you. So that's a case where it's a very slight (laughs) level in the API level of abstraction, but it is a difference. And so when you say something like, uh, trying to support everyone, I can see that. Yeah, I mean, so how how low level do you want to go? And then there's just other things that are a little tricky. For example, I always see that Android apps that use Bluetooth end up having to have an Android service to do all the Bluetoothing, and therefore they have to marshal, you know, lots of data back and forth between the service and the app. Is that still the case? Yeah, unfortunately, anything in the background with Android is all based on background services. Same with geolocation. 
Uh, it's a big struggle even for my geolocation API. And why we didn't do that in the beginning for Xamarin Essentials is Android's complexity. And I think even Windows, they have like background services and mm. whatnot. It's sort of a very complicated process. And those can get killed. The operating system can kill them. They can only be started under certain circumstances often. Uh, and nowadays with Android um, battery requirements, they have Doze and Snooze, like all these different kind of hardware and operating system level sort of restrictions that developers have when when implementing this. It makes it harder and harder to do some of these background services and be energy efficient at the same time, because unfortunately, Google doesn't really provide those nice abstracted Android APIs. And that's sort of what I think about is, is a lot of Apple's APIs. They do have the low, low level core APIs, but they offer up a higher level abstraction inside of the world of iOS to deliver a nicer ex experience for certain scenarios. And that's something that I think plugins or even essentials attempt to do, but it's going to be really hard to abstract all of those across every platform. So I don't know what we're going to do for essentials um, in general because of those requirements of, of, of windows and Android. Mm -hmm. um, so, so, I mean, we took a really good stance with location, which was right now you only get location while your app's running and one shot. Mm. And then our next API will be, you can get location updates, but only when the app is running and that's it, you know, it's the same permission, same thing. And maybe that's good enough for most people. And maybe for Bluetooth, I would be interested to say like, any of our listeners, like if you're building stuff with Bluetooth, I'd be super interested to talk to you um, or give us feedback of what you're building or like I'll put the the link to the the issue inside of the show notes and like let us know what you're working on. Like what I'm so interested yeah. because there's a lot of different like minimum requirements, you know, some people are like I only need one these one things and these other people are like I need 5000 things. So I don't know what's right. Yeah, in, in general, background modes is hard to abstract because it really does depend on the app and your expectations and all that. So I feel like even if you did bake in some sort of background mode, you would have to have either 8 million different settings or you would say, this is how the background mode works, period, the end, end of story. Um, yeah, because it is so dependent. I do like Apple's uh, solution to this. As we all know, there aren't any like, proper real background modes unless you're an audio app <laughs> in apple world but they do have nice things where you can say wake my app up whenever a device with this service comes into range and so that becomes really cool if you make your own device and you set your own um guid for its id then you can subscribe to that guid and your app will just wake up um, and as we said, there's all the beacon support and things like that. So they don't have just, you know, running in the background, you're a service kind of mode, but they do have these nice ways that Apple has decided are at least somewhat energy efficient to implement. Oh, I like that. That's great. Yeah. I mean, that's really what it needs to be at a certain level is like, all right, now this is how it's going to work and this is how we're going to do it. Um, because you can't support everything. So I think that's the tricky part. Yeah, you're definitely going to have to pick your battle. So I'll be interested to hear uh, what people's use cases are for Bluetooth. It's just going to be car stereo. That's all people want. <laughs> I think for me, my use case will be kind of these new IoT boards that we mentioned, you know, our, our, our buddy over at Wilderness Labs, uh, yeah. um, creating some new cool .NET APIs for us to use. I know there's going to be some Bluetooth things there. So it'd be 
pretty neat to to be able to to get into that world, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and connect and do some unique things with these little boards and attach and maybe connect from my phone. I think that would be kind of cool. So I don't know. That's how I kind of I kind of look at it, but I don't know. Yeah, um, it seems like that's the next. I'm I'm excited too because uh, that monkey robotics Bluetooth came out of the whole Netduino world, and we all wanted .NET on embedded devices. And so I was curious when the new Wilderness Labs uh, board was coming out whether it would have Wi-Fi, would it have Bluetooth? And it turns out it has both, thanks to an awesome little chip. And so, yeah, we'll be .NET Bluetoothing all around the universe, making devices, making servers, making apps. It's just a fun protocol to use on everything. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. Ugh, the world of Bluetooth, it's scary, but also really cool. Not scary. Just broadcast all the information. All your data is ours. <laughs> all your data is ours. Was there anything else you want to talk about, Bluetooth, Frank? Nah, that was fun. Thanks for letting me nerd out on another IoT episode. This was a IoT episode in disguise. How was my disguise? Did it fool you? <laughs> you a little bit. A little tiny bit. You almost you almost got me, but got me basically, yeah. let's be honest. So, <laughs> Great. Yeah. Well, that was fun. Well, awesome. Well, thanks for everyone for tuning in. Yeah, let us know what you are. Um, building with Bluetooth, or maybe you're just thinking about, you know, getting started in the Bluetooth game and some of the frustrations that you're doing. Go over to mergeconflict.fm, hit that contact button, send us an email, or hit us up on Twitter at mergeconflict.fm. And, you know, we respond. We love it. We love to hear from everyone. And in fact, like I said, we were in the Twitch chat getting some good feedback. And, and you know, the best way to to help us out is to not only just leave a review on on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, but to tell your friends, help the the show grow and, and give us topics that you want us to talk about. So I think that's going to do it for this week's Merge Conflict. So until next time, I'm James Montemagny. And I'm Frank Krueger. Thanks for listening. Peace.